Oh, hello friends. Welcome back to The Jack Ravel Show. Before I introduce today's guest, I would like to take this opportunity to just say thank you. Thank you to everybody that's listened and is listening to this show. Over the past six months, I've released 30 episodes and every single one of them has been a pleasure to record. What makes it even better though is when I get the comments and the shares and people reaching out to me to say how awesome this show really is and the insights they've taken away from it. So from me, I just wanna say thank you so much for spending the time with me. I know that there are plenty of podcasts out there. I think there's over 4 million in the world now. And so the fact that you listen to mine really means a lot. And the way that more people get to know about this show is literally by you sharing it. So even if this is your first episode, uh, I would implore you to go back and check out a few of the others because there are some real amazing people that I've spoken to. But just take a moment just to share this episode with a friend. Just like it, share it on Facebook, put it in a WhatsApp group. Tell someone about this show because that really is the best way to get it into more people's ears and therefore helping me grow what is something that is, is, is actually a passion project, having amazing conversations with amazing people for your benefit. So yeah, enough with the cuddle puddle stuff now. Let's get on with the show. This week's guest is not just a fellow podcaster, but one of the most well-read humans on the planet. Adam Ashton, one half of the well-known duo What You Will Learn podcast. He joins me today to take a look at all the learnings books have given him over the years. So expect to learn what makes a book worth reading past 100 pages, which ones are worth reading more than once, how to suss out a good book anyway, what doing over 300 episodes has taught them, the difference between exploring knowledge and exploiting it, the worst books out there, and what encouraged the guys to write their own book. This episode flows nicely between classic quotes from well-known authors through to ideas and philosophies that we have taken from our favorite reads. Adam is a pleasure to chat to, and I'm excited to also be popping his clubhouse cherry, that's a tongue twister for you, in a few weeks in preparation for his new book. So watch this space and make sure you follow us on Clubhouse to get the updates on that. In other news, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Bean Coffee. The past year has been pretty mundane. The restrictions, the boredom, and the same routine has meant that finding joy in every day has been challenging. So one thing that I have looked forward to every day is my morning cup of Bean Coffee. I've been drinking their coffee pretty much for the entirety of confinement and I can vouch that this stuff is amazing. They deliver it directly to your door on a subscription basis, either weekly, fortnightly or monthly, and you can choose how it comes, whether it's whole bean or ground. Uh, I get the 20 month, the 20 pound a month bag and that gives me four times 200 gram bags of high grade quality, amazing Arabica coffee. Uh, makes my mornings just awesome. Um, listeners of the show are able to get 10% off everything online by keying in the code JACK10. So if you head over to www.beancoffee.co.uk and check out their amazing selection and order yourself some coffee, I promise you will never, ever, ever go back to instant or supermarket coffee again. Right, now it's time to find out what you will learn with the wonderful Adam Ashton. 
Hey guys, welcome back to the Jack Ravel Show. So today, I have actually one of my favorite hit listers on the show. Uh, for those of you who know me well, I wrote a list when I first started this podcast. And on that list was a few people I'd love to get on. And today, I have the wonderful Adam Ashton from the one half of the infamous What You Will Learn podcast. And I'm super excited to have Adam on today uh, to talk about everything and anything books. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Jack. I uh, I was telling you before, I binged a couple of these episodes. I think I'm a, I'm at least the third book guy you've got on. You had uh, a couple of book guys in the past. So I've got a, I've got something to live up to. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, look, it's it's a passion of mine reading, but it's funny because it's only been a passion of mine in the last kind of I reckon five years. And it's funny how when you suddenly find something you love to do, you suddenly find the, the all the time in the world to do it. And uh, I find it really fascinating kind of talking to different people about books because it's such an interesting and opinionated topic. Um, you know, I find it, I also I love the fact that you have a very different opinion to Jonesy, the uh, the other half of, uh, of, do, of your definitely. podcast, because every time I get your emails or I listen to your show, there's always you've always got corresponding different opinions. And so I've got to ask what what made you start a podcast? when you both had sort of quite different opinions on on most of the books you read? I think we started quite similar and we then we diverged over time. And then like, we sort of like, you know, come come back towards each other and then gone apart at different times. We definitely value different things in books. Uh, we've definitely got different tastes and, and both of us, I guess, have evolved over time in terms of our own specific keen areas of interest. Uh, but I think that's just... It's it's been good. Rather, it hasn't been a challenge that we've been both different. It's been good that we've been both different because uh, we've been able to bring in more different perspectives, more different topics, more different ideas. Um, and uh, as you say, one of us will give it a one, and someone will give it an eight, and then we got to duke it out to try to see who wins. Love it, any duke reference like that, like that. Which uh, <laughs> so so how how do you choose which book to read next? Is it just sort of like a flip a coin? You choose one, I choose the next. I, it's definitely evolved over time. At first, we definitely had the same list. Like I think, like you know, there's always like the same list of like there's the obvious books that everyone sort of got to read type of thing. Um, once we sort of got to the end of that list, there was a bit of wrestling to try to work out which ones we're going to do and which way we're going to skew more towards history or philosophy or science or do we stick with the career and business stuff or um, and then we just got to the point where there was too much tension. So we're like, okay, let's do we're gonna for the next half of the year. I'm going to pick ten. You're going to pick ten. And let, and let's just do it that way. So that was sort of that's where we landed in the end. And now it sort of developed where we're like, okay, well, we'll do ten each, but you got to sort of cover, you know, a little bit of each different ground. It can't just be like ten. I can't just like pick ten philosophy books, and he picks like ten science and history books. We got to sort of like make sure we cover all the different bases within our ten. Yeah, makes sense. It makes sense. I suppose it's it's one thing that is quite hard to do is read outside of your field because even though you know it's easy to kind of pick up a book that you love you actually get more out of a book if you don't know the subject and don't know mm. the, the the topic conversation. So is there any subject that you haven't read yet that you think there needs to be a book on? Interesting question. A subject we haven't read a book on that there should be a book on. Well, I think like I think it starts out that uh, as I said, there's sort of like the basics that you got to cover. Uh, you got to cover a little bit of habits. You got to cover a little bit of personal development. You got to cover a little bit of business, a little bit of career. Uh, but it's sort of like by the time you've read like the fifth or sixth habit book, um, you said it was sort of like hard to read outside your area. But it gets easier, I reckon, because uh, once you sort of read 
all these different habit books or time hack productivity types of books, they get to a point of you know diminishing returns where you're looking for new stuff. Um, the thing that I think I'm sort of keen to read more on is, I guess what I've, uh, it's sort of almost going more narrow into specific stuff. So I uh, read a lot of marketing, read a lot of psychology. My favorite books for a big period of time, there was like the, the intersection, I guess, of marketing and psychology. So I'm sort of keen to probably dive deeper into that. I love that. Absolutely love that subject as well. The, the, the how our brain works, especially in consumer psychology, I find that absolutely fascinating. Mm. Um, there is a book I haven't actually read yet, but I'm, it's on my shelf. I, I do that classic thing where I hear a, either a decent podcast or, or a review or something and I'm like, oh, I must get the book. And then it sits on my shelf for six months before I even look at it. But it's called <laughs> Blindsight or blind, yeah, Blindsided. And it's about how companies literally use psychology to make sure that we buy a product. And, you know, Apple and, you know, all the big brands, Nike, they're all, you know, really, really known for putting something mm. um, out there that 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 you if if it didn't have the marketing behind it, you probably wouldn't buy it. And that's what I find so fascinating uh, about this uh, about this subject. So what would you say of what you've done three three hundred episodes, right? On on your mm. uh, Congratulations. That's amazing. We've done at least 300. Well, I think we've done probably 320, but we deleted some of the duds. But oh, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> so That's good. I think we've got back to 300 now. It's a, a pretty good hit rate. What's that? Like 10%, 10% loss? Yeah. It's like, it's like tiling a bathroom. <laughs> exactly. You've got to add 10% <laughs> wastage. <laughs> correct. But in terms of, so of the 300 episodes, what have you learned in those 300 episodes? Interesting. Well, it's pretty hard to boil it down to one lesson. Um, that's for sure. With probably, you know, of those 300 episodes, we've done probably 250 books plus interviews with 50 or 60 of the world's international best-selling authors. Plus, as I mentioned, there's probably 20 or 30 that never made it. And on top of the 250 books we've read that are on the podcast, we've probably at least read another 100 each that we read. And we're like, eh, not that good. doesn't deserve a spot. So there's probably like 350 plus books um, that have contributed and they all teach you a whole bunch of different stuff. As I said, we read pretty widely, a bit of self-help, personal development, a bit of career, a bit of business, a bit of marketing, a bit of personal finance, a bit of history, philosophy, science, spirituality, a bit of everything. Um, I guess you know, that's a roundabout way of saying like we've learned a lot of stuff. <laughs> like we've learned a lot of shit. We uh, we've we've done like over the time we've done like our when we hit a hundred books we did like our top ten lessons. When we hit two hundred books we did like our next best three lessons of the next hundred books. Uh, and then now we've just we're uh, the book we've just written called the shit they never taught you where we've taken like one hundred and fifteen books, grouped them into thirty two different lessons across nine different themes or topics. So I guess like if it, like my, the long-winded way of saying what have we learned, I guess it's probably the, those 680 pages that we just wrote. <laughs> love that. Love that. So tell us a bit more about this book. So The Shit They Didn't Teach You, it's an, so it's an amalgamation of all the stuff that you've read that you've taken value from in a bite-sized, easy way to understand for other people to take value from. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. What we Well, what we learned early on was like, uh, if you listen to early episodes, it was sort of like us telling people what we learned from the books. Yeah. So it was like, you know, we read this part. Um, this was the best quote. Here was the cool lesson that we learned. Um, and we're sort of just like giving people like the answers type of thing. Uh, and we were like, oh, you know, books are great. But then there's all this fluff. There's these crap stories and all these studies and all this stuff that like, it's just like filling up space. We just want to get to the lesson, um, which is what we were trying to kind of trying to do. But then what we realized was like, well, actually, you actually need like 
the story elements, the personal perspectives, the the scientific studies or the anecdotes from Joe who works at the cafe. Like you need all these different stories to make the lesson stick. So rather than just like whacking people with the the lesson and the summarized version, we're trying to like think, okay, what's the best way to tell a story or like build the lesson so that we're not just telling people the answers. We're like bringing them along their own learning journey to get to the answer type of thing. Um, so that's been a, a constantly ever developing process that uh, I think we're getting close to now, but as a, we'll never get to the perfect level, uh, but I think we're getting pretty good now. So I'm, I'm sure, have you read Will Storrs, The Science of Storytelling? No, but I, yeah. I heard on one of your podcast episodes that uh, a strong recommendation for it, and I just I just bought it today. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. So you know, it's one of those books where it it, it's, it does what it says on the tin. It's the science of storytelling. It kind of like talks about the you know the different archetypes of how stories are read, and you know, we, we before we were we uh, launched the show today, we talked about Harry Potter and kind of Lord of the Rings and how those trilogies are structured and why they're so popular. So when, uh, when, when, but that's more sort of towards fiction books. What makes a good nonfiction book? Like what stops you from putting it down after a hundred pages? I think you, as I, I think what I said about like, you need to be taking along for the learning journey. Um, the stuff that gets boring is if it's like, you know, here's the, the three lessons that you need for blah, 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 or here's the six dot points of this framework or whatever. When you're just like reading those sort of dry dot points or dry numbered lists and whatever, uh, I feel like that gets pretty boring. I think it's when you're brought along um, for the journey where it's like maybe they'll explain the problem and they're like, oh, yeah, that actually that's something that is a problem in my life as well. If you can put yourself in, mm. well, either in the author's shoes or in the story itself, and then you're like, trying to sort of uncovering little bits of the puzzle as you go, uh, rather than just being whacked over the head with the answer. I think that's definitely what, what brings you along for the ride. I think you're right. I think there's the one, the book that comes to mind that kind of does that really well is Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow, because that is a heavy book, right? For somebody that's <laughs> kind of, yeah, massively, you know, integrates everything from, you know, economics through to maths, politics, everything in between. And, and it's just a fascinating book, but he also writes it in a way that brings it down to the sort of ground level you know it's not sort of mm. talking about globalization and kind of like global markets and stuff but <laughs> yeah. but it but it is in the, in the in the sort of grand scheme of things but it does relate mm. it back to if billy had this and sally had that how much would mm. you know mark be left with type of situations which <laughs> yeah. is great because you know i'm not i'm not a well read kind of you know unified kind of guy who knows how to dissect this stuff in a way that actually makes sense mm. so for no wonder it won, you know, so many awards and so many prizes. But mm. I think that, yeah, I completely agree with you. When a story or a nonfiction book tells you information but relates it to a real, you know, real life situations, really makes the difference. And also makes explaining it to somebody like just, you know, like you like you do on your shows, a lot more fun as well. Definitely, I think even to one up that. Um, obviously, that's a massive book, super, super popular, enormous amount of content in there, uh, enormous amount of like groundbreaking lessons. I think one even better is Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely. Similar sort of ground that they cover in terms of like behavioral economics, behavioral psychology, cognitive biases, all this sort of stuff. Um, I think Dan Ariely made his even more readable. So it was even more uh, at my level, which was not like the the academic Daniel Kahneman level. It was more of the uh, Adam Ashton working at a pub level, um, which I think was uh, was even easier to to get get my head around. 
I'll have to. I've not. I've heard the book, but I didn't know who wrote it. So I'm gonna. I've written that down actually, because I'm gonna go and uh, I'll do what you've done with Will Store and buy it today, and then we can yeah. uh, <laughs> know that we're both learning learning something from each other as a result of this, which is great. Um, so I had a question for you that's a bit sort of more about kind of why you read in general. And I, I read on your website, and I've obviously listened to so many of your shows, and and, and understand that kind of you guys met in a pub, working behind a bar you know, obviously we're both interested in learning a bit more about the world and, and what came with it, but like, what does reading really give you? Like, what does it give you that makes you keep going and keep talking about it and keep wanting to find more? Mm. Well, where it started out was I was in uni. Um, I was studying, I was coming towards sort of the tail end of my uni degree. I had a year to go. Uh, I had an internship uh, working at a big corporate bank in the city and my friend had got me onto listening to podcasts. So this must have been 2013, 2014. Um, and it seemed to be, I don't know if it was just the shows I was listening to or, or what, but it was literally like every time someone was being interviewed about their massive success in life uh, in any field, inevitably they'd be like, yeah, I read this one book and it like changed everything. And I was like, man, like how come it, like every single person is like crediting one or two or three books with like opening their eyes to some brand new massive thing that they'd never heard of before. I was like, man, I haven't read a book since high school, like since like Shakespeare and Charles Dickens and that kind of crap. Um, so I was like, well, if like literally every superstar in the world is reading books, I probably should have a crack and start reading some books as well. <laughs> um, so that's sort of where I, where I first got around to reading. Um, I had a couple of early wins, which was good. Uh, first up, I read How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, and that was when I was like, you know, just it, it was like, it's like, it seems so obvious some of the stuff. But at the time, I was completely oblivious, just tiny little things in social interactions that take you from like a, a C plus to a, at least an A minus um, with potential to get to that A plus. Uh, so just like that, like gave me some early wins in the office, um, early wins in public speaking. I was like, man, that was, that was I'm one from one. Um, I read uh, Crush It by Gary Vaynerchuk. And that's when my eyes were sort of open to like, you know, just like, it's not just, you know, you pick a corporate career and you stick to it for 60 years and then you retire. Like there's other things you can try and do as well. Uh, so my eyes were sort of open to business opportunities and, you know, follow your passion type of stuff, which was, which was good at, at first. There's obviously downsides to that, but maybe that's something we can talk about later. Um, but I started a business. I started making money. I was like, oh, this is, this is pretty cool as well. So I was two from two. Um, I read The Game by Neil Strauss. Oh, um, classic. Well, I actually, classic. I, mean, I actually, I thought I read The Game, um, but I bought the wrong one. I bought the rules of the game. I didn't oh, realize that's the it was second a one, book. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's the one, you, the one you read after once you've gotten the story. Yeah, exactly. yeah, I get that. <laughs> exactly. So I, I got the wrong one, but it was like this, like, it was like this 30 day self improvement, like, you know, day two, go and get your hair cut. Um, day four, go to the shops and buy some new clothes. It was like, it was that type of thing. So I missed out on all the pickup artist stuff. Um, but then I like started like I'd been to an all boys school. I don't think I'd really talked to a girl in about six years. So that got me to talk to girls again. So it was like I was like three from three. So I had these early wins with books. And that's why I was like, man, there's like all these things out there that like it's just simple stuff. It took me 20 bucks to buy the book and eight to ten hours to read it. And then I can go and try something in the real world and it works. And then, you know, I'm on a completely different path. So basically I think that's the high I've been chasing for the last five or six years through reading books. Amazing. And so when did that, when did that, that streak run out? What was the, where did you get to eight from eight, 10 from 10, 12 from 12? <laughs> I think pretty much every book's got something in it. So I'll say 350 from 350. Well, almost there's a few duds. Yeah. Um, in fact, there's plenty of duds out there, but I think, I think every book, 
there's something in there worth reading. Um, there's of course books where like if you've heard it before, um, it probably isn't as impactful. If they were this massive TED talk that blew up and got millions of views, and then a publisher gave them money and they turned this really awesome one idea into 300 pages of crap um, just to fill the pages, or you know they got an Oprah and the publisher's like, oh well, you must be someone cool. We'll give you some money to write a book. Um, and it doesn't seem to be so good. So there's definitely plenty of crap out there. But I think all in all, that investment, like for 20 bucks in eight hours, it's worth it. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. The, the What I wanted to ask you before we go into this is what's, what's your reading habit? Like, How do you consistently keep up with it? I mean, obviously the podcast is something that keeps you accountable, but it just generally from when you first started reading before you even started doing the show, what keeps you keeps you reading and how do you do it? The show definitely helps um, in the sense of it forces us to read one book every single week um, as a bare minimum. And now it's probably like 1.2 to 1.4 books a week on average, just because there's a few duds that don't make it. Plus, we've got you know side interests, reading other things that wouldn't it wouldn't ever be on the show. Um, but it definitely just like took time to build up. Mm-hmm. Like the first year, I probably read 10 books. Um, second year, I probably read 30 books, and then I probably read 50 to 60 books every year since then. Um, I don't think it's anything uh, magnificent. It's not like I'm speed reading or I've got this magic technique of like uh, how I can consume more pages per hour than a normal person or anything like that. I think it's just just saying, okay, well, I want to read this. I've got to make some time for it. I don't think you can find time to do it because if you're trying to find time, you'll always find something else to do in that time. So you've got to make time. You just got to choose, well, I'm going to read this book for 10 minutes. Absolutely. I've I've spoken about this before, but it's it, it's kind of interesting that I read... Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg mm. uh, after seeing him actually at a seminar here in London. And he he changed the game for me in terms of habit building because I think habits, when you try and force them upon yourself, it just it just doesn't work. You know, it has to become a system, right? I think kind of that's as a, as a James Clear kind of uh, analogy there. You know, we... James we Clear, don't... who I think he stole it off uh, Scott Adams. Oh, really? But it's James gone... Clear like claimed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's gone, it's gone around the houses a few times. Yeah, it's, it's actually quite funny when you, when as you said before, when you read books you do hear the same thing kind of be regurgitated many, many different times. And it's just about who told you first, the one that you respect the most. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, exactly. but BJ Fogg, I found quite interesting because of his four step methods of, to, to forming habits and the celebrating at the end of it was the bit that really made, made, made me laugh. And I actually tried it and I created a habit out of the back of that. So my, my reading time was when I go to bed at night, I had to, well, actually when I made my bed in the morning, I put a, book on my pillow so that when I went to bed at night, I had to take the book off the pillow to then get in. And I just promised myself that I'd read a page a day and or page a night. And then obviously that led into more and more and more. And now I read 30 to 40 books a year. But what's interesting is that when you get into that, that cycle, you start to then you know, read consistently anyway. And I'm the same as you. I read mm. probably every, for every 10 books I read, there's one or two that are like, yeah, I could have probably not read that and still mm. be okay. But the ones that do make a difference really hit home. And then I spend probably the next kind of month or two almost so implementing them, talking to everyone about them, recommending it to everyone I know. Um, so on that, what is the book that you're recommending to most people at the moment? I think the one I recommend the, the most is probably The Dip by Seth Godin uh, for a few reasons. One, I think it's applicable to, to everyone. Uh, and two, it's really short and easy. It's like 80 pages. It's like 
if you like can't read a book, it's like the easiest place to start just because it's so short. It's so simple. The chapters are like half a page each, which I'm always like, I'm always like looking to the where's the end of the chapter. If it's like 20 pages away, it's painful. But if it's close, then I can keep going. Yeah. Um, the idea of the dip is that any uh, project you do can follow a couple of trajectories. It can either be a cul-de-sac, he calls it, which is just like flat forever. Like you work, work, work. Nothing really gets better. It doesn't really get worse. You're never going to crash, but it's just kind of you know plodding along the same old, same old. Um, it could be a cliff where you see some early wins and it's exciting and it's fun, but then all of a sudden it seems to drop away and go to zero. Uh, or the the only other option really is the dip where it sort of starts off pretty similar. Like you start off and it's it's fun. Like for us, say, writing the book, you know, you write the first page. That's an awesome win. Or you tell a mate that you're writing a book and they say, good job. There's like a good win. Or you tell your mom and she gives you a pat on the back. Um, there's like all these early wins. But then like from page one through to page 680, for us, it's like nothing really happened. Like we're working, 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 but there were no results. And it's not until the very, very end that that's when the results come. And that's when like, if you can be a person who writes a book or a person who makes a podcast or um, or a person who sees a project through, you, you, know, you paint on a canvas, you get to the end, you write a song, you get to the end. If you can get to the end of that project and not quit in the middle, that's when all the, the rewards start to come. So I suppose that comes down to a bit of perseverance, but also resilience. And also, I suppose, well, let me ask you, let me ask you this. Does it come down to past experiences, knowing that that's something you have to push through? Or is it something Definitely. that you just have the passion, enough passion to know that you've got to push through? Well, that, that's sort of like the key to the dip. Once you know that the dip's there, is like, okay, you know that it's going to be great at first, but then it's going to be tough. So if you know that it's going to be tough in the middle, you sort of got a couple of options. You can either quit when it gets tough, which is the worst possible thing to do, because it means you've wasted time, you've wasted energy, you've got halfway and you've given up. So that's the worst thing you can do. Um, a better thing to do is to realize that, hey, it's going to be tough. You're going to have to find some way to push through. If you're not willing to push through, it's better to quit at the start. Like, Don't quit in the middle once you've wasted half the energy. Quit at the start before you've wasted anything and pick something else and know that you are going to push through. Or of course, the best thing is pushing through all the way to the other side. So it's like if you know the dip's going to be there, like either quit everything before you get started or commit to something and get through to the other side. Makes sense. It's it's so funny though because often you talk to people who are doing projects and and you know when you're in the as you said the the entrepreneurial business startup space you meet lots of other people in that space as well and it really does you find a lot of people in that middle section right you find a lot of people in that dip section they just don't know what the other side looks like and actually sharing stories about how other people have done it helps you realize that there is always a light at the end of the tunnel. And even if you don't see that light and it's a cul-de-sac or a cliff or whatever, you know, whatever a metaphor we attach to it, you'll always learn something along the way, always. Mm. And I think that, you know, to come back to podcasting for a second, I think you never start a podcast thinking it's going to be like a Joe Rogan show, right? You start it because you love to talk to people about a subject or you like to talk about a subject, but, mm. but, but, but through the power of passion and through the power of kind of putting yourself out there and having other people say, oh, well, you know, good for you for doing that. It, it builds momentum and builds kind of that, that, that trust and that, that part of it keeps you going and ensures that you don't stop. Because as you said, what's the point of doing 30, 50, 100, 300 episodes if you're then just going to stop one day? Mm, exactly. And I think it is like, it's probably the people who say, 
oh, podcasting is booming right now. I want to get into podcasts to make money. Um, if that's your goal, your goal is to make money and then you get to episode six and you haven't made any money and you've bought a $100 mic and you've uh, wasted all this time and money and you're actually negative and you're like, well, podcasting, you can't make money. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up. Um, if, as you say, you pick some other reason, like as you say, you're really interested in the topic, you want to talk about it, um, you want to be the type of person who gets to you know, 300, 500,000 episodes of a podcast, um, if you want to practice your public speaking, if you want to get better at talking, better at listening, better at learning. Like for us, it was like reading books and learning new stuff. Like if you've got all these other personal benefits that you're going to get out from just doing the podcast, then that's the type of person who's going to keep going. If you're looking for the external rewards of you know 100 social media likes and 100 bucks sponsorship, uh, and you don't get that on the first episode, then you're probably going to give up. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And there's been plenty of people who I've seen try that and actually have that same mentality towards it. And it just comes down to that whole like Simon Sinek thing, you know, start with why, like, why are you doing this? There's plenty of other ways to make money in the world, but there's not plenty of other ways that you can share conversations with interesting mm. humans in the world. So, you know, look at the best possible way. And I suppose there, there must be a mental model for that, but it's, I suppose it's like first principles, isn't it? Like what, what is the thing that's the most important and how, how are we, how are we going to get this out in the most mm. effective way possible uh, to, to ensure that we, you know, get, get the news and get the information out to our guests and listeners. And it's interesting. I do love it. So I want to know how much time do you give a book before you put it down, before you go, nah, this is not worth it. It's a dud. Uh, it kind of depends if it's, um, if it's one of Jonesy's books that he's picked it and it's one of his 10 books, I'm trapped. <laughs> I got to I got to see it through. Or at the very least, I got to say, okay, Jonesy, there's 15 chapters here. I'm really not enjoying it. Just tell me the three or four that I need to read that we're going to talk about. <laughs> that's that's sometimes what happens. Um, uh, if it's something that I'm picking, I think it, it's... At first, I, was, I, I couldn't do it. There was no way that I could possibly live with myself knowing that I ticked it off on Goodreads, but I didn't actually read it. I just like, I couldn't do it. There was no way. If I didn't read every single chapter of every single page of every single um, every single word, like uh, there was, I just couldn't do it. Um, but now I've, I've started to get better at like giving up on books, quitting books earlier. I think it's like, if the style isn't grabbing me, plus the content isn't grabbing me, plus I haven't learned anything new and it doesn't look like I'm going to learn anything new, that's when it's time to give up. So fair enough. So when do you, or if you do, switch across to fiction? Do you ever sort of just put the uh, the business books to one side and think, ah, you know what? I just need some fantasy right now. Almost never. <laughs> Almost never. I've tried. I've tried. Uh, it, like at least one third of the authors that we've interviewed on the show talk about fiction. Um, plus just other other mates talk about fiction. Um, and I, like I've tried. I just can't get into it. I uh, like... I think probably last year I read three or four fiction books. This year I read two so far, and I'm, I've just started a third. It's like I'm trying to build up. I'm trying to I'm trying to like inject a little bit of fiction, but I just haven't been able to do it. Tell me, what should I be reading? What should I be starting with? It's it's inter- it's an interesting question because I I love crime. So for me, crime books are are kind of you know crime documentaries that sort of thing. Big big for me. But I I read a book recently um, that was uh, I'm probably going to get his last name. I think it's 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 either Richard Shipley or Shipman. I can't remember. Anyway, it's all it's he's a the UK's most famous uh, forensic pathologist. 
and it was basically his his memoirs from his his work Seems in right. the UK. Yeah, it was really interesting, and it was just things like teaching you. Oh, you know, when you see when a, when a, someone dies, like wh- knowing how long they've been dead for based on how stiff their body is is just a myth, and you know, depends on the circumstance and all this sort of stuff. Like things that you see on CSI Miami, and it's just a load of rubbish. Um, but what was really fascinating about that was that. It, it dived more into his like personal life around like what it actually takes to be a forensic pathologist and the mindset around that and having to deal with dead bodies all the time and that sort of thing. And obviously that was more of an autobiography. But then I also love reading crime books. Uh, so there's a, there's a couple of guys that I like reading who've got books that have gone for years and they're, they're easy reads because you can literally, that's, I, I call them beach books, you know, the ones that you can just like pick up and you don't have to remember where you were. You just kind of get, keep going from where, 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 where you were from. And I've, I, I sort of have to every now and again, go back to one of those kind of every five or six books, I'll just pick one or have it going at the same time, just depending on what I feel like reading at the time. Because I feel sometimes when you read too much of the same stuff and you start to hear the same stuff through and through, you get a bit kind of like, oh, I've heard that before. Like, and you start to get a bit kind of over the book and start almost skipping chapters or kind of look, as you said, looking through to see where the chapter ends. So yeah, I was interested to know that when you find a book you don't like, it, you give it, you give it, so you give it a good go, but ultimately it get, it gets, it gets chucked. Mm. Um, of the book you've written, the one with all of the, you know, dissecting all the, all the books you've read up to, up to date. I've got to ask, what's the worst book you've ever read? <laughs> the worst book. Well, the wor- oh, I was, I was going to say the worst book isn't in this book, but it is because Jonesy liked it. <laughs> the worst, okay. The, the worst book I've ever read. Now, uh, I have to preface it by saying, look, the book's fine. I just felt the advice was dangerous in it. Um, and I say the advice was dangerous in it because I just know I'm lucky that I got it. I read it this year. If I had have read it six years ago, I think I'd be in a massive hole right now um, because I would have taken it and been like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply this. Um, the book is One Up on Wall Street. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's about saying, look, if you... If you like feel like you know something big's coming around the corner, then like you can invest in the company and make more money than the pros. So like if five years ago you buy you buy Tesla because you're like, oh, Tesla's making cool cars. Obviously, you made shitloads of money now. Um, if you bought Tesla stock, if in the early 2000s you're like, oh, there's this cool you know online shopping Amazon. Um, have you heard of it? And it's it's going to change the game. And if you buy Amazon stocks, you'd be like, you'd have to hire someone just to count your money right now. Um, and it sounds great. It sounds great in theory. Uh, Ash, Adam Ashton from six years ago would have read that and been like, oh my goodness, I'm a stock market genius. I can see all these trends around me. I'm going to buy this stock. I'm going to buy this stock. I'm going to buy this stock. And I'll be kicking my feet up. And at 23, I'm going to be a multi-billionaire just for my stock investments. And I think I would have been in a massive hole. Um, so that's why I think that book advice was dangerous. I think if you if you read books like that go the other way, like the smartest investment book you'll ever read, The Intelligent Investor, um, lots of books like that that say that actually buying, you know, a whole slice of the market, buying ETFs or you know index funds that give you the best 500 companies and getting safe, consistent annual returns, that's actually a way that you can beat the people who are trying to day trade and, and pick stocks and pick winners. So I think if you read all of those types of books and like one up on Wall Street was like one small piece of the puzzle. It could be good. If you read that as your first ever book and you're like, this is the answer, then I think it's dangerous advice. So that's why I'd say it was the, the worst book. It was the only book I've ever given a one out of 10 just to try to dissuade people from reading it. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I, the, have you read Morgan Hounsell's The Psychology of Money? No. 
There's another one after that. Really, really good book. So he's only just recently launched it. I think it's it's this year. Um, and I heard him on another podcast talking about it, and and he's done you know exactly what what you just said there is demythed kind of the the things that people think about investing. Um, but also what's really interesting is he takes a kind of a, a Nassim Taleb uh, quote and says like, pay, play different games, earn different prizes. So if you're somebody who's pension funding and they're looking at long-term growth, your advi- the advice you get from someone who's a day trader is going to be useless. But yet for some mm. reason, people take what a day trader in the city says is gospel and try and apply it to their long-term stock you know portfolio and it just doesn't make sense so in a way like investing in money i think is funny because it's it's people think it's predictable but it's not at the end of the day history is just a collection of random events that have happened right you you can't predict anything so for someone to be able to say i know exactly what a stock's going to do in the next 5 minutes 5 years 550 years is impossible so it comes down to basically who's the better salesman uh, and who's the better person who's the person that can kind of persuade you to either invest in that company uh, or or not um, but the psychology of money really picks apart that and and gives you some super solid up to date advice on like okay if if this is how money is working in the 21st century then these are the things that i advise you to look at um so yeah i'd i'd i'd, I'd definitely nice. recommend you uh, i think you both will enjoy it want to add to the add to the mix absolutely yeah, yeah i found i found quite a few books last year that well, and this year that i've i've really kind of dived into um one that I, I absolutely love mentioning is essentialism by greg McEwen, mm. which for me was a really good book to kind of just give you a whole new outlook on life you know it, it gives you just a whole framework that you can start living by um and that the whole pursuit of less but better it, it just it just for me it sounds like a dyson advert you know it's just something that you just want because it's it, it's something that is people are not doing enough of and especially now what with work from home being so much more normal and that you know people are wanting to learn more and be more and even though the pandemic has stopped us from doing lots of things it's actually allowed us to do more because of the fact people have adopted online you know working so much more i think that if you'd asked me 2 years ago would you be up for interviewing someone on your podcast on the other side of the world via zoom i probably think mm, wouldn't it be just better to do it in in, in like yeah. in face to face but now this is yeah. this is just how it works so how so the question i'm coming on to is how what books do you think have really shaped you as a person to date that have almost like changed your complete opinion on the way that you live your life? Definitely some philosophy books that were real eye-openers for me. Um, I, I, I don't want to say stoicism because I feel like it's almost getting too popular. Um, but definitely a lot of the stoic philosophies like the, the more more recent ones like Ryan Holiday, Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy. Um, but then also some of the more, the more ancient ones like Marcus Aurelius Meditations or Epictetus's Enchiridion. Um, I definitely liked those. Just like some some simple timeless wisdom. Like it was like uh, Marcus Aurelius was a, a king from two thousand years ago, and uh, Epictetus was a slave from two thousand years ago, and they were like both saying the same things. And it's like even more relevant today. So I feel like if it's lasted for two thousand years and applies to all different people across the socioeconomic spectrum, um, it must be some good stuff. Uh, just some simple things that I took from that is just like there's. Generally, in the world, there's like things that either are within your control or outside of your control, really. Like you can control them or you can't control them. 
Um, sometimes it's, it's painful to admit that you can't control something, uh, especially if you're a control freak. Um, but sometimes there's just stuff you can't control. If you can't control it, you need to try to worry about it as little as possible because objective events are going to happen uh, and you, you can't change it. You can't influence it. But then that gives you the freedom um, to tie a little bit of essentialism into it. You don't, you're not trying to do everything. You're just trying to focus only on the things that you can control. You can then give that your full attention, your full energy, your full effort, ignoring everything else. You can do less but better by focusing on just the things you can control. Powerful. I love that. It's actually, it's so true, but we never do it. And it's, it's, it's almost mm. a question in itself. Why don't we do it? Why do we feel the need to control everything that goes on in our lives? Because ultimately by not, by, by letting go of those things, we become less stressed and less anxious and less worried about the things we're trying to control. And then we can actually get on with things. But I think the world we live in is, is so full of instant gratification that we look for the easy win rather than the long-term gain. And I think that when anybody's starting out in anything, whether it's, you know, business or, or you know, a, 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 a challenge or whatever it might be, they're looking for the, the easiest and best way to do that so that they don't have to spend as much time or energy learning about it or researching it. So with, with that in mind, is there any subject that you are, we've mentioned already about the psychology and kind of marketing side of things, but is there anything that you still think like, oh, you know, I still don't know that well enough to be able to talk about it and therefore would like to read even deeper into it. I'd say there's there's heaps. Um, what you sort of I don't know if any if people are looking at the video or just listening, but like everything behind me on this side is like that's all the shit I haven't read yet, um, and that's just a small slice. I'm I'm living um, living with parents at the moment, having moved back from living out of home where I had like I had two massive bookshelves. Um, one was the books I had read, and then one was the books I hadn't read. And literally, like every two weeks, I'm buying four or five new books and reading two of them. So it's like that list of books that I haven't read yet is like growing exponentially. So whilst my the books I have read is like growing linearly, like the books I haven't read is growing exponentially. And I figure, same as you, I hear about it, I buy it, I'll get to it at some point. I want to read it, um, but there's just like so many books I haven't read yet. And it's one of the ideas from. Um, Nassim Taleb, I think it's in the Black Swan, I'm pretty sure. He talks about this uh, Umberto Echo. He talks about the anti-library. Like, you know, having uh, having a library of books as almost like trophies on the wall of all the things you've read and it's like a, a visual representation of how much knowledge you have. It's kind of a bad thing because um, you just get overconfident. You need to have like the anti-library, which is again, it, all those books that you haven't yet read, um, all the things that you don't know, like as the, the quote that I'll probably butcher, you know, as you're island of knowledge uh, grows, so too does the shoreline of your ignorance. So like the more you know, the more you realize that you don't know so much more stuff. So you got to like, there's like, every time you learn something new, it teaches you other things that you still need to learn. And it's, and it's so true because you'll then your ego starts to get bigger with the amount of knowledge you think you're learning. And therefore then you think that you know more, but actually you don't because you're then aware yeah. of more things that you don't know. It's this kind of, yeah, exactly. in a way, if you took take it back to really simplistic form like, and just say, remember, instead of learning about the fact that you only know one percent of what the world has to offer, by by reading, you're opening up your mind to bigger things. So it's a paradox of like you're learning about more, but therefore then the more learning becomes almost over overpowering, and you then have to mm. even dive even deeper into it. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, it's like the, you know the you know the Dunning Kruger effect. No, uh, it's like that. where you like it's like it's like where you. It's like the people who know the least think they know the most. It's like when you like know five percent about a subject, you're like 
the, the amount you think you know spikes enormously. Like if, if you just hear a little bit about something, um, you think that, oh yeah, I get it now. Like if you just learn like the first three to 5% about cryptocurrency, you're like, oh yeah, I get it. I've grasped it. But then if you learn like, you know, 30% about cryptocurrency, like your perceived knowledge then drops off significantly. So it's not until you like come out the other side. It's almost like the dip on steroids. It's like when you come out the other side and you're actually an expert and you realize that you know everything. But if you only know like half the stuff, you realize there's so much that you don't know mm-hmm. um, compared to the person who doesn't know what they don't know and they think they're a genius. But then to, 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 to add to that, it's also where if somebody if somebody knows a lot about a subject, they then have the ability to be more wise about what they decide to take mm. from that knowledge they have. So oh, if yeah. somebody's got 5%, that's all they've got. So they, they use that and they, and they quote that and that's what they, they base their, their, their knowledge on. Whereas if you've got 30% of something, you have the, the choice to be able to say, I know what parts of that 30% actually make sense and then allow you to actually become somebody who, if let's say we're talking about cryptocurrency and we both only know 5%, we're probably going to be able to be telling each other what we know. Whereas if <laughs> I know more than you, I can then choose what to talk to you about based on what you already know. Whereas if you knew yeah, as much as me, the, the the conversation would go so deep because we'd go even go we'd go even further into it than what we already know. And yeah, it's a fascinating topic because then how far do you go? Like when when does it when do you stop learning everything about a subject? Like where's is there a line? Is there a bright line mm-hmm. between like philosophy, psychology, politics, economics, and maths, like where does it all joins together, I'm sure, but there, there are definitely blurry lines between when one crosses over to the other. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think like, I think if you get to the point where you think you know everything, that's when you're cooked. That's when you're like, <laughs> that's it. You may as well throw in the town now. Uh, if you think that you know everything and you can't possibly learn anything new, that's when you're done, I reckon. Uh, it's like the, the Zen, you know, the Zen master. Uh, who you know he was teaching a new student who said he knew everything. Uh, so the Zen master came over and poured him a cup of tea, and he kept pouring it, kept pouring it, and the tea filled up, and eventually got to the point where it overflowed. And then the Zen master kept pouring the tea, and the student's like, "What the hell? What the hell are you doing?" He's like, "Well, yeah, your your mind is like this this teacup. Uh, if you if it's full, nothing new can get in there. If you think you know everything, you can't possibly learn more. You need to first like empty your mind and admit." That a little bit of ignorance and humility to before you can learn something new. I love that story. That's really clever. Really clever. I wish I could. I wish I could say I made it up, but it's definitely <laughs> it's one of those ones that uh, is in like you know five percent of books that just everyone claims it and, and puts their own spin on it. <laughs> I like that. I like that. It's probably where as well. there's a there's a quote that I, I I do a lot of endurance sports and there's a quote that um it, it's from a guy called Ben Bergeron who's a CrossFit Games kind of legend and he talks about how. Um, you you can't you can't serve from a cup that sorry you, you can you can only serve from from the overflow of your cup not not the cup itself so you need to basically be a full human you need to be uh, fit yeah. for service before you can serve others and so it kind of counteracts that a little bit but it's it's interesting because you need to kind of be at the point where you know enough about something and be fit enough to to share and and and, and you know complete that thing before you even you know can help others in the same in the same respect so but then also the flip side if you don't know about something the wonderful thing about the world we live in today is that we can ask anything to anyone so quickly. Mm. I think, um, you know, I've been, I've been doing been through quite a lot of business accelerators and business courses over the last couple of years. And one thing that always comes out as a, as a, as a standalone comment is that if you don't know something, ask, 
but so many people mm-hmm. don't ask. People don't actually take the time to just ask the, the, the what they think is the dumb question. But but you got to remember that everybody is coming from where they are, not where you are. And so mm-hmm. if I ask you a question about, I don't know, podcasting 300 episodes, you know, you, you, you're you at the point where you've done 300 episodes, you're going to have to come back to where I am at 30 episodes to kind of just like be, meet me where I am, whereas I'm trying to get to where you are. So you've got to kind of find that middle ground between people when you're asking them questions about certain things moving forward. Yeah, it's fascinating. I find it, find it good. Um, I like it a lot. Bit of a fun question for you, but would you rather read 100 books 10 times or 1,000 books once? It definitely obviously depend what those hundred and the and the thousand books are. I think I would want to read a thousand books one time, which I know is the opposite answer of what uh, of what the last bloke uh, mentioned when I heard when I was listening to that earlier. Um, I think just because there is so much variety, as long as it was variety, if it was a thousand books on productivity, then I'd I'd say no thanks. Um, or if it was you know a thousand books on Stoic philosophy, I'd also say no no thanks, just because like you get to the point of diminishing returns. I think the variety is definitely a good thing. There's going to be little bits and pieces, like each one's going to give you a little dot, and if you can connect all those different dots, it's going to be amazing. Um, at the same time, I think there are some phenomenal books that deserve to be reread like i feel like the Tao Te Ching, uh like an ancient chinese philosophy wisdom sort of a book is something i feel like i could read um i feel like when i read it i only understood three percent of it it's like i'd have to read it again every year for the next 20 years before i even got to 10 percent of, uh, of understanding of it it's like something that every time you read it you'd learn something new um you know seven habits of highly effective people the seven habits, but I've probably read it three or four times. And each time one new habit sort of sticks out as the key habit that I need to know. Uh, or like the the 48 laws of power. Uh, as you progress through, like I read it when I was a, a graduate and then I read it as I was like two or three years into my career. And then I read it again as I'd like progressed um, to sort of somewhat, not, not really managerial, but I had some people reporting to me. So it's like from each different perspective, like different laws and different stories stood out. So there's definitely benefits of rereading um, I think uh, I think I want the variety though early on. Actually, no, there was a there's a book we just read uh, called um, Algorithms to Live By, and it was about uh, maths and computer science and how they sort of they take like um, the fundamentals of computer science and apply it to the real world. And one of the things uh, that they talked about was the explore slash exploit problem. Like when do you explore to gather new information versus when do you exploit and make the most of the information you've already got? Um, a very nerdy way of like saying, you know, maybe the real world example is, you know, what it's, it's Friday night. Do you want to get takeout or do you want to go out to a restaurant? Do you want to get, you know, your favorite tie joint or do you want to try the new pizza joint that opened up down the road? Do you want to rent a new movie or do you want to want watch one of your old favorites? So it's like, do you explore and try something new or do you exploit and like stick with the the tried and true, the favorite, something you know is going to work. Um, so I think that your your question is a bit of an explore exploit problem. Do you explore and try a thousand books once, or do you exploit and take those top books and read them over and over? Um, the there was a lot of maths and science behind it, but the answer to I guess this explore exploit problem was it depends how long the span of time is. Like if you're at the start, you should be exploring a lot. If you're coming towards the end, you should start. You should be exploiting. So, like, if you've just like if you've just moved out to a, a, a new city, then explore, try everything, try all the different things. But if you're moving back home, 
um, having lived somewhere else, that's time to exploit. That's time to get the same pizza four times in a row because you know you can't get it again. So I think like for me, I probably see myself more towards the start where I want to keep exploring, read those thousand books. I'm sure if you asked me when I was you know, 70 years old, I don't want to be cashing in on the, the best books and, and making the most of that wisdom. Yeah, it's it's a really good way of explaining it. I really like that. The 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 Lindy effect, which is the one that we we touched on earlier about how a book stands the test of time. So, you know, the Napoleon Hills, the Dale Carnegie's, that's those sorts of books that just will always be good bestsellers because they're just classic books. When it comes to books that are always on your shelf, which ones do you find yourself going back to again and again and again that kind of always give you value regardless of when you read it? Yeah, I think it probably is some of those, like the Seven Habits, uh, the Forty Eight Laws of Power, definitely, the Tao Te Ching, definitely, meditations, definitely, um, even the Effective Executive is sort of like a bit of an old school management productivity book, which is like fifty years old. Some of it, like, is talking about like secretaries and and um, and office workers and like things that aren't super relevant anymore. But uh, there's definitely some core principles in there that that are great. Pretty much anything that's old, I guess. Is, is is normally pretty good. If it's like still around today, then it's probably it's probably worth reading over and over. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's kind of the I I had a conversation someone about this about like why do people spend so much time on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook when they know that the com- the conversation the, the the content they're putting out there is probably going to be disappeared within fifteen minutes, let alone you know fifteen hours. And yet a book people don't take the time to read, even though it's been around for sometimes fifty years and it's been around for that long for a reason. And it's sort of like why don't people spend more time actually learning from people that have research taking the time to write a book to actually and and people that have read Mm. it over and over again rather than what people tend to do which is spend hours and hours and hours on on youtube um a fact for you only because i work in this space but as of 2020 there was almost 100 percent, 96 percent of people uh 96 percent up uptake in more people watching video-based content online and nine out of ten people bought a product or service as a result of seeing a video of it online so that's 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 gone up hugely in the last obviously from the pandemic and stuff but they also reckon because of this now 86 percent of the world's online consumption internet traffic is going to be video based by 2022 so 86 percent of everything you watch online will be in video format. So photos um you know podcasts it, it, you know however they they ma- manage that is it's super interesting to think like the people are you know much more video based so how do you think that that stands the test of time for books because books are never going to change mm. you can't really i mean audio books are the next best thing but mm. do you think there'll be such a thing as a video book I suppose it's a film isn't it yeah yeah exactly well it makes me think our podcast is audio only we better start recording the video i reckon um it seems like we better, we better head that way um it's interesting because i sort of feel like uh i was i'm not a big youtuber because I kind of feel like I can listen to podcasts, you know, if I'm working and it's not too demanding, if I'm, you know, walking, running, driving at the gym, doing the dishes, walking the dog, there's all these times where you can listen to audio where you don't have to commit to watching the video. So for me, audio sort of slips in um, more often throughout the day. But I could understand the video because it does require that extra commitment that maybe then you would be, um, if you're more committed, then you probably are going to be more likely to take action and buy a product or a service. Um, I think for books, 
I think there is probably, a, as you say, a video version is probably like a documentary. Have you ever checked out like Mentor Box and stuff? I know they, I haven't, but I know they're trying to claim the word like video book because like, you know, there's audio books and they're sort of doing video books, which is like the authors presenting their book. Almost like a, it's, I guess it's really just like a, it's almost like a TED talk. It's like a video version of like a lecture type of thing. I think they, yeah, I don't know. It sounds interesting. My answer is I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was more of a it was more of a, of a query of a you know less of a question, but I think it's you're right. The way the world's going, I find it fascinating that there are people thinking of new ideas. I mean, um, I'm, I'm not sure if you've managed to get on Clubhouse. I mean, this this uh, you know, I never the, got on it. Ah, oh, so it. is it good? I feel like it's gone, I feel like I missed it. No, you definitely no, it's haven't. Still going it's, strong. Okay. Well. To give you a bit of background, they've just launched, um, well, they're launching Android pretty soon. So it's just it's just iOS at the moment, but it's been going since sort of just before Christmas. And it's an incredible app. I probably spend, I reckon, eight to 10 hours a week on it, Wow, which is incredible for an app I've just downloaded. Um, but what's really cool about it is that it's raw, right? And so there's no hiding, unlike on other platforms, you can hide behind filters and algorithms mm-hmm. and bots and whatever else. There's, there's nothing like that. So you can literally go into a room, talk to some like-minded people. And there's been plenty of uh, podcasts slash books slash kind of literature and philosophy type rooms that I've kind of popped into. Um, and so it's a good place, A, to find guests if you've got a podcast. B, it's a good place to promote your podcast or, or your, your book if you've got one. And, and C, it's a really good way of actually getting to hear somebody before you pretend to, you know, you, you tend to book them mm. or you want to work with them. And what's really interesting is that I will speak to and hear people on Clubhouse who I'm like, this guy sounds awesome, like amazing. And then I'll check them out on any other platform socially. And they're like, they've got hardly any following. And you, mm-hmm. and it's this weird concept between, because you think that the world we live in today, if you've got to be following, you must be someone good, famous, or, or amazing. But actually, when it makes you realize that sometimes people's profiles can actually just be really a smokes and mirrors act for who mm-hmm. they actually are. And when you hear them in real life, they're not actually as good as what they seem. So the reason I'm saying this, I think, you guys would be great on Clubhouse. I think you'd bring in a really cool crowd of people just to, even if you just ran a room talking about your latest books and the ones that you've done, almost like an extension of your podcast, you may not, you may also get a new listenership, but also potentially some people coming in and, and wanting to work with you and either have you on theirs or, or have people giving you some new books, ideas to, to have on yours. I like it. Well, it makes sense, especially as people as blokes who have been doing a podcast every week for five years, it seems like a natural extension. Um, I think we've got like, say, 180 to 200,000 downloads every month on the podcast, but only like 4,000 Instagram. So it's interesting how it hasn't translated that way. But Clubhouse is probably more a natural extension. Have you ever hosted a room? Yeah, yeah. I host rooms quite regularly. I do probably three a week. Maybe that could be my uh, easy transition in if I can if I can do one with you. You can hold my hand through the first the first Absolutely. bit. Absolutely, I tell you what, I'd love to actually. I, I run a club called uh, Live and Clicking, which is kind of part of what my, my business does, which is kind of you know helps people become more confident in front of the camera. But it'd be a great a great thing to talk about because we could do a room talking about how to start a podcast, right? And yeah, we could just talk about that, and you could you'll have loads of people come in and, and talk about talk about that. Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's get one organized. Um, have you if you get have you awesome. have you got the app and I've got an invite? I'm in there. I've got it. I've downloaded. It. I've made an account. I've just I've literally never even opened a single room. I'm gonna um, so I will have to do it. Put a put a note here to find you on there, <laughs> and then uh yeah, we'll make it happen. We'll get a I'll, we'll we'll make a room happen for sure. It'd be cool. It'd be really Too cool. Good. That's awesome. <laughs> love it. Well, love I've got a, I've got a question for you. Sure. Um. So one so one thing that that uh, I don't even know where this came from, but it was just like, as we were doing the introduction to the book, we made like a, 
almost like a mathematical formula. So the formula is like the value of reading is equal to the quality of the content divided by the time invested. And then like with brackets and you take that to the power of book selection. So what we were sort of trying to do with this book is obviously have... You want to have the quality of content as high as possible. You want to have the time invested as low as possible. And then of course, you want to be reading good stuff. Like we've been talking about, if you read shit books, um, it doesn't really help. So that's like if you get a shit book, something to the power of zero drops down pretty quickly. But then if you can have a a, a higher exponent, um, getting a bit math nerdy here, if you can remember back to high school maths, if you get a good quality book, then that's going to help. So we're sort of like, this book is a way of like reading a whole bunch of, you know, almost like sampling 115 books and you can pick the best 10 that you want to read in your book selections through the roof. Quality of content is going to be high. You're not going to be wasting your time reading shit books. Um, that was sort of like a long way of saying like, I feel like that just putting like a mathematical formula to something that really works with my maths brain. I heard you talking about your own mathematical formula um, about luck. Uh, so luck, if I'm not mistaken, is opportunity meaning skill. Is that right? Yeah. So having that as like a, a mathematical formula, I feel like by having that, then you can like focus. Okay. If I want to increase my luck, I need to increase my opportunities and increase my skill. So I guess my question to you is like, what's the like, what's the next step from there? How do you increase your opportunity? How do you increase your skill? Okay. So first of all, the, the equation I always go to with regards to anything is commitment plus consistency equals change. because that is just hands down has worked in every single way shape or form and you can dissect that down into different levels of whatever it is you're looking at so let's say for example you wanted to increase your luck right in order to increase your luck you have to have skill and you have to have opportunity right skill is a is a is a practical thing it's something you learn it's something you go out and, and do do something for so if you wanted to learn a skill you commit to the skill you consistently show up to the skill and you will change in the way that you perform that skill as a result okay opportunity is the same if you want to create opportunities, let's say you want to create more leads in your business, you've got to commit to showing up every single day on Instagram and following and liking five people's posts on a daily basis for a month. And as a result, you will see a different different result and you will get more people into your business. So it always stems back to commitment plus consistency equals change. But in terms of if, if I was to tell someone how to bring in more opportunity, I think it, the first thing I would say is get out of your own head. Stop thinking that the world is going to come to you because of who you are and what you've done. Nobody cares who you are and what you've done because ultimately all they care about is what you can do for them. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a real mindset shift that I've, I still gr- gr- grapple with on a day-to-day basis when I'm writing content, when I'm writing call to actions, when I'm writing you know, anything for my business. I'm like, what do they want out of this? Not what I want, what do they want? And so that's what, and it kind of brings back into this whole podcasting thing. It's like, how do I ask questions that bring out the best in somebody else? And it's like, how do I write content and and, and things and business, you know, um, copy for something that I'm trying to get someone else to get the best out of what I'm giving, right? And it's really hard to do because you have to take away your ego. You have to take away what you think is right and almost talk to them as if, the, there's a concept that's um, it's called the truck and trailer. So essentially, the truck is the driving force around what the trailer is that they, they're carrying. So it's like, how are they going to take what they've got to the place they where they where they want to go? And you're you're the driver. You're the thing that's you know going to help them. So like you tell them if you do this, you're going to get that, and that kind of takes them to where they want to go. But you have to kind of almost think it in a back to front way. So. If you were looking to get more opportunity, you've got to look at 
why would someone give you the opportunity in the first place? And when you start asking that question, you then start to realize that, okay, in order for someone to get me to be in that position, I have to have X, Y, and Z. I have to talk to this person, that person, this person. And that's when then your world starts to open up a bit and you go, oh, okay. So if I want to be in that group of people, I've got to hang out in that circle, join that Facebook group, talk about this thing, read that book, get on that podcast, listen to that podcast. And then suddenly it doesn't become about the thing you're learning about. It becomes the environment in which that thing sits in, which makes it much more sense. And as the expression goes, if you can surround yourself with the five people that you know influence you the most, you will be influenced in that way. Um, so yeah but i like how i like how you picked up on, on my 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 uh what they call log- logical logical equations i think uh <laughs> i think quite i think quite logically when it comes to things um and it's like even even with what i what i teach people i teach confidence on camera right so one thing that i've learned over the years of being in front of a camera is that it's not about confidence at all it's about preparation so if, if i if i said to mm. you adam if if you're are you do you feel confident i don't know doing a clubhouse room on your own what would you say not yet no, not no. yet whereas if i asked you do you feel comfort sorry do you feel prepared to do a clubhouse room on your own what would you say i'm sure i probably could yeah yeah but it becomes I a logical like I could do something yeah, yeah i could it, do something it becomes a logical answer rather than an emotional answer and a logical answer is a is a yes or a no answer, right? It's like, am I prepared? Yeah. Yes or no. Whereas, if you ask, am I confident? It's a it's a it's a physical like emotional response. You get nervous, excited, scared, whatever it might be, and that's when people's monkey mind takes over, and you don't make logical decisions. So, honestly, the, the only thing that I teach people is like, right, get prepared on what you're doing, and the confidence will come as a result. And so, it's the same with any anything you want to do in life. So long as you know what the outcome is that you want as a result of it. And you can work backwards from there and 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 sort of approach it in, in that way. I like that. I like that a lot. That's good. I think I think I think for me, the, I guess it's just like doing more stuff. The more stuff you do, um, it's sort of like it helps both things. It helps increase your skill, it helps increase your opportunity just by doing more and putting more stuff out there. Um, like learn. I kind of like I used to love it. I kind of am a little bit allergic to like the Gary V, you know, learn you know document don't create like a little just because i think so many people do it um overdo it or like it's they've taken and spun in a different way but like it kind of does work like if you can if you're learning in public and you're like building as you go and people can see it you're increasing your opportunity by putting yourself out there you're increasing your skill by like doing learning as you go and i think then that's when like when when your skills at a high enough level then the opportunity comes along you're ready to grab it and that's when you get lucky that's it. That's it. And and you hit the nail on the head where when you said when you've got enough skill to be able to even just like accept the opportunity as well. I think a lot of mm. people don't accept opportunities because they think deep down they're like, oh shit, I'm not at that stage yet to even say yes or no to that. But that's when then mm. the the whole thing of leaning into it and kind of like feel the fear and do it anyway comes into it because if you spent your entire life just like building up the skills of things that you might need one day and never actually implement them, what's the point in having the skills in the first place? I think that mm, there's an argument definitely. to say that if you actually just try things and put yourself out there and lean into that discomfort zone or what I like to call the stretch zone, which kind of sits between your comfort zone and your panic zone, <laughs> you, sit, you sit in the stretch zone, it means that it forces you to become a better person as a result of the thing you're trying to achieve. So kind of like 
it's why we have deadlines. It's why we, we, you know, we don't just say, oh, I'll just get it in whenever because there's no need and there's no um, urgency in order to be able to complete something. Um, you know, if you were given as much time as you want to write your book, I'm sure it wouldn't be as finished as it is now. Yeah, well, definitely. Well, that's kind of, that was a problem that it took. So it took, we had uh, COVID, so we had so much time. <laughs> so we did like the second version, the third version, the fourth version, the fifth version. Um, we finally, we're finally done, but we, we thought we were done version one ages ago, like over 12 months ago, but with more time, like Parkinson's law, that the task expands to fill the time that you give it. Absolutely. And it's so true as well. I, uh, do you use any, do you use like Pomodoro timers or any sort of those techniques to keep you, keep you accountable for what you spend your time on? Uh, not Pomodoro so much, but I, I definitely try to trick, almost like trick myself, um, into being more productive in the sense of like, uh, so one of our one of our lessons, I guess, was like get shit done. So like all the productivity stuff, the, all the books we grouped together. You know, like the effective executive, getting things done, the one thing, uh, eat that frog. Um, I'm trying to think what else was in there. There's a couple of others, I'm sure. Essentialism didn't make it in, but that'll be in the bonus audiobook content. Um, but like, so one of the things from eat that frog was just like little hacks. Was like, how do you want to? How do you? best work there's sort of two different ways you can think about it there's like the the swiss cheese or the salami slice so the swiss cheese approach is like you know you want to just like punch a few holes in the task um so like the the swiss cheese with a whole bunch of holes if you can like you know work really hard at the start and punch out you know 20 30 percent of it the little crumbs are a little bit easier to break off uh or the other approach is like the salami slice you got this big sausage of salami you like cut a little bit of time cut a little bit of time cut a little bit of time eventually with like enough small tiny little slices you've eaten a whole sausage um so i guess like either approach works pretty well for me i'm more of a salami slicer i like to sort of like stack up you know, if I if I got a long list and I can cross a bunch off, it's like the endowed progress effect. I feel like I've made progress, so it like keeps me going, it keeps me fueled up. So for me, it's like almost like tricking my brain to being like, okay, I'm in, I'm in it, I'm in the flow, I'm in the zone. I finally I've ticked off a few things. Okay, now I'm in it. I can keep going. So that's sort of how I trick myself to do more. It's it's it was super interesting. I I think I work on I work on pressure. So for me, I won't kind of put my heart and soul into something until I know that there's some accountability attached to it. So um, to give an example, like a couple of weeks ago, I ran uh, 100 kilometers for charity in a day. Oh my goodness. Um, while actually live on Clubhouse, oh, right? Yeah. And I, I'll tell you now- <laughs> You would be pretty puffed. <laughs> oh, mate, it was, it, was a, it was a big day. Uh, it was a big day in camp. Um, but we, you know, on the How lead up to it- How long did they take? 100Ks? 14 hours. Oof. Yeah, it was big. Quick. Big day. Well, it's pretty quick, I reckon, for 100 k's. <laughs> it was, you know, what it was the, the first, the first k, sorry, the first marathon or so was kind of like what I would normally run a marathon at, I think, and that's where I screwed it up because then for the next like 60 k's, I was pretty, pretty spent. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what what was interesting was that I had accountability in my ear the entire time because I obviously had the you know the the clubhouse room running at the same time and there were so many moments where I was just like I can't do this I, I get, you know it was just way too far away to even think about completing it but yeah I had these people in my ear with the accountability side of things and so like the pressure of like knowing that I was going to let so many more people down than than actually letting myself down would have would have just just kept me going and actually since then I've noticed that things I've done just on day-to-day -day basis where I've like 
I'm having my bathroom done at the moment and like I hadn't chosen tiles for like three weeks. And so then the day the builders came and were like, we need to know what tiles you like. I just made a decision and it was the right decision because I just, it was just the pressure was there. So kind of like when you know that about yourself and if you know that kind of ticking things off in bite-sized chunks works for you, it means that whatever task you decide to do, just make sure you break it down into 10 things. And then at least, you know, you're going to get, you know, the, the kind of the momentum going as a result. Love it. I love it. Have you read um, Jordan Peterson's new book, Beyond Daughter? 12 no, More Rules for Life? I haven't. Is it good? One of the rules, one of the rules was about about pressure, just saying, like, obviously, like um, you've got carbon, uh, and carbon makes coal, but with enough pressure, uh, it forms diamonds. So it's like if it's it's not a not a new concept, but he was just saying like about that, like giving yourself that pressure, like picking something, aim for it. And that gives you the pressure to like a lot of people don't aim. They just go through life. Then they're, they're not intentional. They don't pick something. They sort of meander along. They do what everyone else is doing. They do what their parents think they should do. They do what their t- teachers told them to do. They do what their boss told them to do. They're not actually being intentional and choosing for yourself. But if you can put a little bit of pressure on yourself, if you can actually like as an archer, you pick a target, aim for it and shoot at something. Um, even if you miss, that's better than not aiming at anything at all. If you miss, at least you've like learned, you know, if I like move it a little bit this way, pull it back a little bit further you know give that little bit more extra effort then i'll get a little bit closer and if you can get you know five percent closer even one percent closer each time um, by just having the pressure of like picking something aiming for it and taking a few shots um, you'll eventually get closer to hitting the target i love that it's that reminds me of the same analogy that uh, matthew mcconaughey talks about in his green lights book um have you have you have you heard the audiobook or have you read it i haven't i haven't Uh, dude do yourself the thing is, I this is my problem as well. I get like, if anything's too big, I rebel against it. Like Mark Manson, The Subtle Art, yeah. um, like Jordan Peterson's first book, uh, like Atomic Habits even. Like if anything's too big and too popular, I, I rebel against it. So Green Lights fell into that territory. Right. So I uh, get the audiobook because he is an incredible storyteller. And I, I did that while sort of running and cycling and stuff. Like that. And it's just super funny, but also really, it's full of so many takeaways. So I definitely recommend it. But one thing he talks about in there is about how instead of trying to be the arrow, finding the target, right? And constantly missing and sort of wondering why you're missing be the target and let the arrow hit you so what he's the analogy is like okay don't don't try and become like he was talking about picking up women actually is how he how he's describing it it's like instead of being the <laughs> arrow the game yeah exactly <laughs> being the arrow and kind of going like right i i need to hit the, the perfect woman and i need the perfect target but every time i try and do it i either miss or i don't hit it or whatever instead just be the most attractive guy which then the woman that will is most attracted to you will come and hit you and mm. you you don't have to do as much work you just have to essentially let let the arrows hit you and decide whether they hit the target or not and it was just a kind of green as he said green light moment where you realize that actually you don't have to work as hard as you think to get the things you want you just have to show up and be yourself and again to, to steal another nasim quote which is your uniqueness is your competitive advantage right the only thing that you've got above anybody else is the fact that you are you and there's nothing else anyone can do about that. There's no possible way anyone could become a version of you and do better than you. So just be you and be the best at it and you will win as a, as a regard, as a result of that. Um, and I find that that just, when you hear people like Nassim who are just like next level kind of up here, and then you've got, you know, Matthew McConaughey who is in his own right, a massive and up here, but just a completely different worlds saying kind of a similar thing, but just in a different mm. way. That's what I love about it. I love about kind of reading and listening and just like understanding how different people's brains work. And but ultimately, as you said before, 
books that have lasted 2000 years have lasted 2000 years for a reason and the, the, the stuff yeah. in there still makes sense so there's got to be some information out there that's uh that's true and that that, that you live your life by it's just about reading Definitely. enough books to find it bang on mate the only thing that falls apart in that um target arrow analogy for me is i don't think mcconnor had had to try too hard to pick up women <laughs> i feel like he you'd be all right in that respect <laughs> I feel like fair point. I feel like he can be the arrow. He can just let anyone come to him. He'd he'd have plenty of people lining up. <laughs> fair, fair, fair point. But then I suppose on a, on a kid to counteract that is he is he the way that we know him as mm. obviously because he because that's the way he is. He could be actually a bit of a you know more egotistical, shy like kind of whatever. Yeah, yeah. You, but not the guy we know as Matthew McConaughey. We we see him for what <laughs> we know of him. Uh, he could be someone completely different if he, he chose so a different true. direction. So yeah, so find that true, fascinating. Adam, this has been amazing. I've really, really enjoyed chatting to you, man. It's been uh, it's been awesome to kind of dissect book, different books and different things. And uh, I am looking forward to potentially doing part two of this, maybe with Jonesy involved this time as well. Which That's good. it, and definitely a clubhouse version as well. Absolutely, let's <laughs> chat about it. I'd love to. I'd love to do a room with you. I think the the you know listeners and people on Clubhouse would find value in it. So yeah, let's chat. Definitely get one up ready ready soon, especially because you've got the book coming out soon. It's a great way to to publish it and to to promote it. So. Let's do it. We could even call the room shit they didn't teach you. That's it. There you, there you go. go. There okay, you go. Fantastic. Good stuff. But um, <laughs> for those that are listening or watching, where where can people find you if they want to learn a bit more, if they've never heard of the podcast, never heard of you, where do they? Where do you send them? Yeah, whatyouwillearn.com uh, is probably the best spot. If you're listening on any podcast app, hopefully we should be there. What You Will Learn. Um, YouTube as well, but we just put up the the video version, which is just the the audio podcast with a still image up there. But yeah, check out the check out the book, what you will learn.com slash the shit. T H E S H I T is sort of like going to be the landing page for it. Um, and we've also got a few freebies there as well, like our top 50 best books of all time, a free introduction to the book, all that sort of stuff. Um, what you will learn.com is our home base for everything. Amazing. Good stuff, man. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I look forward to uh, seeing the book come out. I definitely will get a copy and uh, maybe we can do another episode on the book specifically when it's when it's all out in the public, uh, public domain. Um, but for me, thanks again for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, mate. I really enjoyed it.